In this episode, I have a thought-provoking conversation with author Barbara Legere. Join us as Barbara shares her powerful journey through her son's mental illness, addiction, and ultimately his tragic suicide. In her best-selling book, Kevin's Choice, Barbara courageously opens up about the challenges she faced as a single mother and the desperate search for answers. Next on the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. With me today is Barbara Legere, author of the bestseller, Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction, and Suicide. Barbara, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here to have this conversation with me today. How are you doing? I am doing well today, David, and thank you so much for having me here. Um, before, Why don't we get right into it? Can you share with me and, and the listeners a little bit, an overview of your personal journey and how you what led you to write um, Kevin's Choice? Sure. Uh, I had a son named Kevin, and I raised him as a single mom, and Kevin was a very happy little boy until about third grade. And that's when I noticed he started suffering from depression and anxiety. And as time went on, um, I did have him in therapy, and I did have him on medications, which seemed to help. But when he turned 15, he started using drugs. And when he turned 17, he started using heroin. And that was the beginning of the end of his life. Um, It completely took over his life. And for any parents out there that have experienced that, you know what it's like to watch your child turn into someone else before your very eyes and to watch them suffer to watch their heartache, to watch their future, their plans all deteriorate when their life has become um, surrounded by uh, drugs. So I did end up losing my son to suicide three years ago. It'll be three years on August 11th. And I decided that I wanted to share his story because I want people to understand that there are lots of Kevins out there. There are lots of parents like me out there and people don't know what we go through. Um, Some people are easy to judge. They don't understand what it, what's really going on. And that's why I wrote the book. I, I wanted to share his story in hopes for other people understanding and maybe gaining some empathy and finding out what it's really like. I, I was very, honest and open in the book. I shared some really personal things that went on and um, I just hope it's been helping people. How did you cope with your stress, worry and and guilt that accompanied uh, your son's struggles? I did not cope very well, especially the first two years. I was very naive. I did not know that heroin was around and I did not know that if you went to rehab, that wasn't a guarantee that you got better. I thought that's what happened. You go to rehab, you go through the program, you come home and you move on with your life. I really believe that. And that is so far from the truth. What, what's, far, when when Kevin went to, was it his decision to get him into rehab or the two of you together? Or how, how did he end up in rehab? What, what, well, the first time he ended up there, he... He got arrested three weeks after he turned 18. 
So he was sent to jail for possession. And because it was his first offense, the, the court gave him a program to go to rather than have a felony on his record. So that was the first time he went. And that was a 90 day program. And he did fairly well. But that was just the first of many. I think he went to at least 13 different rehabs, 15 Mm -hmm. detoxes, behavioral health stays, all kinds of things. And that's kind of how it started. Sometimes Kevin asked to go. He would beg me, Mom, please, I need to get there. Help me. And I would help him as best as I could. And other times I would say, you know what, you're out of here if you don't go. So we did it both ways. Was there a particular moment or experience that stands out to you during your uh, your journey with Kevin, uh, Kevin's addiction and his mental health issues? Yes. Um, There is one moment. You know, I I think I wrote about this in the book. I honestly don't remember right now if I did or not. but, But there was a moment when I was called to an emergency room in a hospital. I don't even remember what city. I've been in so many of them with him. But I got there and they said, your son is here. And I could hear him crying when I got in. And the nurses were kind of like, you know, rolling their eyes like, yeah, he's down there. He's making a lot of noise. And that that hurt to begin with. But when I got to the little room, he was so despondent. So, I mean, he was just almost hysterical, saying, Mom, I can't go on. I can't go on. And he kept saying, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard, and it's not happening. And just seeing him in that state was the hardest moment of my life up until losing him. And I just surrounded him with my arms, and I just tried my best to comfort him. But I'll never forget that. It was, I knew he was struggling, but that incident just drove it straight into my heart i was probably halfway through his addiction yeah you you talked a little bit about you know parents are probably gonna who are facing the same similar challenges what advice would you give to them that uh you know what you went through educate yourself educate yourself um well, it's so different today because we have fentanyl now right. instead of heroin. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but down here where I live, heroin is not really a thing anymore. Everybody that was using heroin has switched over to fentanyl. So you can use fentanyl on purpose, like Kevin did for the last couple of years of his life, or a lot of people are thinking they're taking a pill and it's been laced with fentanyl, like buying a a Xanax off the street or an Oxycontin off the street. And that is killing a lot of people down here. It's, it's horrifying what's going on, but the, to answer the question, I would tell parents to educate yourselves on what's going on. You can do that on Google. You can read my book. You can, ask other people, but educate yourself and understand what the symptoms are of somebody who's been using, what it looks like. Talk to your children. That is so important, Um, especially these days with the fentanyl pills. They need to know what they're facing and that it's a life and death situation when they make that choice to try a pill. Their friend might take a pill from the same batch and they'll be fine. But if that one pill has a little too much in it, that child or young adult or adult will die. And it's happening every day, all day. 
would you recommend that not only educate yourself in terms of the, you know, the, the drug culture, so to speak, and what's going on, should you also be leery of the, the company that the, the kids are keeping, the, the group of friends that they might be hanging out with? What are some of... You know, that is a, such a good question because it was new friends that um, introduced Kevin to heroin, but I had no way of knowing. I did not recognize that because they were just, they they had jobs. They were going to college. He They were older than him. He was 17 and they were in their 20s. But, you know, it's not the stereotypical, all of a sudden your kid's hanging out with these bad kids and right. they're being influenced though that does happen too. So yeah, I would definitely question if your child changes friends and starts hanging out with people that you don't feel comfortable with. I would get to know those kids and talk to them and, you know, your kid won't like that, but. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you're supposed to be the parent. You're not the friend. What, how? Yes. You you mentioned that he was hanging out with guys or or girls that are a little older than him. What happened to them? And when he was going through his rough time, were they, did they abandon him? Were they also going down the same sort of rabbit hole he was in spiraling out of control? What what happened to them? Well, um, out of the three of them, there was two young men and a female. Two of them are no longer here. They both died from an overdose. The third one, um, he is doing well as far as I know. But at the time, one of the young men, whose name was Anthony, he became like my second son. He didn't have parents. And well, it's a long story, but he and I became very close. And I watched him and Kevin use together. We had to have a rule that you cannot, you guys can't be together anymore. I mean, they made up the rule themselves, really, because if one of them wanted to do well and go to rehab, they knew they couldn't be around the other. They were such a strong influence on each other. Same with the the girl. She, um, she did the best out of all of them. She had some really long-term sobriety, like years at a time. Mm-hmm. But you go back if you go back to it, it's you're taking such a huge risk. Um, your tolerance is down. You don't know how much to use, and if you use too much, it could be the end for you. Um, his Kevin's close friends from high school that he grew up with that did not use drugs. They never abandoned him. They still cared about him and loved him, but they didn't want to hang out with him. They didn't socialize with him anymore. So it was really hard. It was hard to watch that happen. And, and now and, they're all doing great. And did the, and what sort of support, um, did you get any support from the parents of those kids that, you know, they, they, you know, they, they, they cared about him, but they didn't hang around him. Was, did you, where did you get your support from? Um, I got my support. Well, after Anthony died in 2015, I found a support group for parents who had lost someone to overdose or or suicide or had children were still using. And that's where I first found my real true support because they knew exactly what I was going through. Um, There are support groups like Al-Anon. I tried Al-Anon for a while, but I disagreed with a lot of what they said, but that's a good place to find support. Um, My friends just didn't get it. I didn't really get support from my friends unless they were really familiar with um, addiction and recovery. But my family was supportive the whole time, too. So 
when you decided to write uh, Kevin's Choice, um, did it help you process your own emotions and grief after your son's suicide? Yes, it did. Um, I didn't write it for that reason. I wrote it because it kept nagging at me. The thought would not leave my mind. It was like, write the book, write the book. And I yeah. felt like Kevin wanted me to write it too. But it, yeah, it did help. Writing and journaling has always helped me, um, you know, process my feelings. So yes, it Had you ever written a book before? No, no. I'd always thought about it, but I didn't even know what I would write about. Certainly didn't plan on writing this, but right. yeah, it was, a, it was actually a, anybody who's thinking of writing a book, let me know. I'll, I'll share my secrets and what I learned the hard way. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's a great book, but I'd like to know what impact do you hope the book will have on readers, particularly those who've experienced, you know, some of the similar struggles that you've had with uh, that, you know, with a loved one. Well, I'll tell you the best compliment I got from the book. It was when a mother said to me, she gave the book to her sister and her sister finally understood. She finally understood what she was going through and what her daughter was going through because you can't really describe it to someone unless they've been there. But she said, my book did a good job of describing it to someone and helping them see. And I want people to know that, um, number one, it's not always easy to get help when you want it. That's kind of a myth. And number two, these are people that deserve to be cared for. They deserve help. They deserve not to be judged and looked down upon. And it's it's so hurtful to see how many people just walk away from someone like that, assuming, well, they're a bad person. They're, you know, they're a low life or whatever. And it's not true. There are children. They're, they're beautiful people with beautiful souls. Not all of them, of course, because we're all people. We're all different. Right. But most of them have had some kind of trauma in their life when they were younger, or they they decided to take care of their pain by using drugs. I mean, that's basically why how Kevin got started. He He loved the feeling it gave him. He loved feeling like I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I'm great. But that goes away after a few months. And the next thing you know, you're only using so you don't go in withdrawal. And it just sucks you right in. Well, how, how important do you think it is for society as a whole to provide more support and resources for individuals battling addiction and mental illness? I think it's very important. And I think mental illness is so hard to get help for. I think that's people think, okay, you need help, you go and get it. But if you don't have excellent insurance, um, if there isn't some place where you can take your child for long-term care, not just child, I, I use that term because that's the one common to me, but take someone to long-term care care, not just 72 hour hold because they're in psychosis, but somewhere where they can be treated for a few months until they get balanced. Um, those are the kind of things that don't, that, that aren't um, common. They It's hard to find those kind of programs. And then if you do find them, you don't always get in, you're on a waiting list. And a lot of bad things can happen while you're on a waiting list. So, for, So from your experience, what are some of the effective ways that maybe could raise awareness and promote understanding of addiction and mental health issues? Well, I think a lot of, there's a lot of people out there on social media that are talking about it. 
I really appreciate celebrities who share about it because, you know, they have a bigger audience and there's a lot of celebrities. Glenn Close comes to mind because she talked, she's been talking about mental illness for years before it was even something that society wanted to recognize. And um, I think talking about it and being willing to really care about what you vote for, really look into all the new things that come up with each ballot and decide where do I want, do I want to support this or do I not want to support this? And just sharing the, just sharing the message with people. What would you say are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned throughout your journey with Kevin's addiction and and mental illness? Let's see. Most valuable lesson I've learned is that love is not able to save someone. Doesn't matter how much you love the person they it doesn't save them and i've learned that forgiving yourself is so important i could not be sitting here today and functioning as a normal person if i had not been able to forgive myself for anything that i did that was not helpful to kevin i mean i all parents make mistakes but we make them in love We don't make them intentionally. And I know I made mistakes and I had to forgive myself for that. And I just have even more compassion and empathy towards people who are struggling with recovery and mental illness. But you were doing doing just the best that you could with what you knew. Absolutely. That's what most of us do. As a parent, how do you balance between supporting your son with uh, taking care and also taking care of your own well-being? during any of these challenging times? Well, that wasn't easy. (laughs) I um, actually lost a job because I was so stressed out. I was so stressed out, I was making errors at work. So I didn't really do a good job of taking care of myself. There were times when Kevin wasn't around, like he had a 16 month um, prison term. So you'd think, oh, I can relax now. I know where he is, I know what he's doing, but he was using drugs in prison. It didn't give me a break from the worry and the stress. You know, I just, I tried to stay social with my friends, but to be honest, I didn't do a good job of it. I think finding other people that understand what you're going through is, is so helpful. I know your, your book, uh, Kevin's Choice has done well. And that led you actually now having the having this conversation, you're already writing your second book. You we went from, hey, I don't think I have a book in me, and then it just hit me. <laughs> We're about to talk about your second book. So see how I see what you did there. You slid it in. Oh, I don't think I can do it. And here we are. We're talking about your second book. And we're gonna I'm gonna have you on in a in a couple of weeks to talk a little bit about that. And I know it delves into the area of grief. Tell me a little bit about the upcoming book and what it's entitled. It's titled Talk to Me on Grieving, because one thing I've learned is that a lot of people that are grieving want to talk about the person that they lost and not just child loss. My book covers all kinds of loss, spouse, um, health, careers, siblings, best friends, pets. But um, it is a very lonely thing to grieve because our society is really uncomfortable around death and we don't know what to say to the person who's grieving. A lot of people avoid the person who's grieving because they don't want to say the wrong thing. 
Um, and then the people that do say something rely on the platitudes that we've all heard a million times. And they yeah. can be really hurtful because you don't think about what you're saying. And I'm guilty of it as well. Right. It's like we just say certain things and then we don't think, oh, well, I just belittled their grief or, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, because I think also when it comes to grief, what you're saying, you think you might be helping someone, but you're really making it about you to make you feel better. They say, oh, I said something yeah. <laughs> in whatever it is, like my thoughts and prayers are with you or, or or something like that. So how would you suggest helping a friend deal with grief? That's what the entire book is about. But I would suggest telling yourself it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the other person. So how can I focus on that other person? Well, you could do that by not comparing your grief or loss to theirs. Like saying, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your wife. I lost my sister five years ago and it was horrible. So I know what you're going through. No, you don't. That's not a good thing to say. <laughs> um, anything that starts with at least, those are the two warm words if you're going to say at least something like at least you have more children or at least you can get oh, married, at least or at least he was really old yeah at people least, say yeah. that people say that all the time i have a list of 100 things people say in the back of my new book and you'll read them and go what someone actually said that they're all real every single one of them wow but people don't think you know they don't they're they're trying to make you feel better by saying well at least you have another child yeah. at least you can get remarried uh, and it's like saying your loss doesn't matter you get over it move on and there is no moving on um like people think it's if you lose a child it stays with you forever you learn to live within it but it's not something you should get over it's yeah. your i i look at it this way Grief is a form of love. And the more you love the person, the harder you're going to grieve, the more it's going to affect you. It's going to sink into you and be part of you. True. But that doesn't mean that you can't laugh again, fun or enjoy life and experience good things because you will eventually after time goes by, you will. But, 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 on, but on, yours, on your schedule, not on society's schedule. Because right now the grief. Absolutely. And it's different for everyone. Because grief is kind of like a to me when I lost both my parents, I, I already know there's been a, a a shift in how I see life and and everything. But it's just like you're you're slightly you took a, a slight off ramp, and life is still going on, and you're just trying to find your way. When's a good time for me to get back onto the onto the highway? It, it's it's a hard hard thing. Um, so what would you what? Because I know you say and I'm gonna have you back in a couple of weeks. What are some of the things? someone should never say to a, a grieving person i know because you uh, as much as i've done some shows on grief i never i never even thought of that one that the at least i know I, i'm like yeah that's right so what, what are some of the other ones you should never some things you shouldn't say to a grieving person well first i want to say i love that analogy you just gave that is really great i'm going to steal it from you but i'll tell everybody i heard it from you and tell them about your podcast <laughs> but because um, i never heard that before i love it uh, there's a lot of things you shouldn't say. If One you, thing you, you shouldn't. If say. you can think, give me three, because we're going. You're going to be back in a couple of weeks. Give me okay. Three, three, three is that... the, the at least. I've already said that one. The um, comparing comparing your grief to someone else's, and this is really 
a big one is saying, what can I do for you? Or I'm here for you. Because when you're grieving, you don't know what you, number one, the burden on the griever to reach out and ask. And we're not going to do that. We're just not going to do that. Our whole life is turned upside down. We can barely get dressed. So we're not going to be able to come up with a list of things and then call you. and him. So I have a whole list in the books of, of things you can do without burdening the person. Um, but I will put it the other way. If you're it's someone you care about, you know, they're grieving. There's the fine line. You know, you know, you want to help them, but you don't want to push. You don't want to intrude. And, and you and when you make the offer, hey, I'm here for you. Let me know if there's something you want. You know they're not going to reach out because, like you're saying, their world is upside down. How do you push a little bit to say, I'm going to help you, I'm here for you, and there you could reach out? Because there is that fine line. It's like Yes, and I, oh, yeah, I, ha- I have a whole section of that in the book, too. Um, what I suggest to people is you tell them what you're going to do for them. You say, I'm going to be at the I'm at the grocery store, text them and say, I'm here. What can I get you? And then list off some things that they might be running low on. Show up at their house with a bunch of paper plates, napkins, plastic cups. So they don't have to do any kind of dishes because people will be dropping by, bring them food, ask them or not ask them, but say, hey, I'm bringing you a meal. Should I leave it on your front porch? Should I ring the doorbell? Would you rather have a DoorDash gift card? What will make it easier? for you just kind of let them know you're going to do something and how can i do it so it's the yeah. most convenient for you wow well you i'm gonna cut our conversation here short i'm not short because we're going to continue it on because we're going to have you on in a couple of weeks is there anything else you'd like to share uh oh, first off how could people get in, in touch with you find out a little bit more about um kevin's choice and uh, the work you're doing um, my website is my first and last name, Barbara, L-E-G-E-R-E. And I have a blog there and you can buy the book, read my blog and find all my social media there. Oh, great. Barbara Legere, this is the conversation of two. We've got another one coming up. You are the author of Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction and Suicide. Apparently, she only had one book in her. Oh, by the end of this conference podcast, she already had a second one ready. See how things progress so quickly. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And I look forward to our next conversation, especially we got over those 100 things not to say to someone when they're grieving um, on our next cover- conversation in the next couple of weeks. And I look forward to that. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.